This is Big Man Tyrone, and you're about to watch the MTG Cabal cast with your hosts, Wode, Thirsty, and Reptar. Sub to us on all your podcast networks at MTG Cabal Cast and YouTube. Alrighty, guys. Welcome to the newest episode of the Cabal Cast. This one's a bit of a doozy. Uh, so if any of you have been paying attention to the internet recently, you probably saw the tweet and subsequent sale by Ben Blyweiss of an intentionally misprinted Vicerasir that was serialized. Uh, kind of important because to this point, serialization hasn't occurred in magic uh, so we're going to be taking a look at trends in sports cards and other areas that have serialized previous subsets that they've done in magic yep. and stuff like that and how it's kind of affected the finances of that so let's get her started yep. so uh you know as we mentioned uh this is the first time we've seen this done with uh, true serialization and we're not counting set numbers in that when i, I brought up the viscera seer before i'll bring it up again so just people can see this is numbered number 77 of 100. And when this first came out, we were not sure what was going on. And that kind of led to this topic. And it took the majority of the weekend to figure out that this was, Viscerous Seer was not number 77 in a set of 100 different cards. There are 100 different uh, Viscerous Seer in Secret Layers. And throughout the weekend, it was tracked down to figure out, okay, what are the possible the possibilities of the iterations of secret layers that this could be in? And right now, the Viserysir have come only from the uh, Praetor's drop, foil and non-foil. And it was nice enough for Watsi to let us know that there were 100 of them, as we can see here. But as the majority of these, I would assume, have not made it into player hands yet. And I think the, uh, the numbers have been kind of de-obscured. And we know that there is something like 50,000, I think, or maybe more uh, of the Praetor yeah. Secret Layers sold total. They have yet to be cracked. So we don't know if we're going to get more than just the serialized Viserys here yet. And so this kind of led us to this topic of, well, what is done in sports cards and what does this mean for magic because when we see when we've seen this done before and we've seen inserts uh, look at the stained glass planeswalkers right that means that certain secret layer sets are more worthwhile to hold sealed uh, the expedition sets the invocation sets the masterpiece sets those are more more worthwhile to hold sealed rather than open because the lottery the lottery ticket inside is worth so much more when it's unknown even if there's not a lottery ticket inside you just get you get a premium on that as opposed to cracking and whiffing but that doesn't happen with sports cards so what's the difference and so this is really what we wanted to talk about today and one of the big things that we talked about and i had to ping you for this in the in the server was i know that when we look at inserts into sport into uh sports card sets we get variants and we know yeah. based on the variants that we see, because thankfully they are serialized, what they are in regards to population. The question that we had was, is this known ahead of time? And, you know, it's kind of interesting because it used to be, you know, in the 90s, you would just look on the back of the pack and it would tell you, you will get this card in one out of every so many packs. Since then, what manufacturers have started doing, uh, and this started about probably eight or nine years ago now. They will release beforehand the full checklist for the set on the internet, on their website, and it'll say, look, these players are in this serialized set with these variations, so you know who has a one of one, a one of five, 
a one of 50, a one of 100, whatever the case may mm -hmm. be. And that's something that they've started doing to kind of drum up hype and sales for these sets before they come out. And when it was obfuscated a long time ago, you know, it was obviously like, oh, it's, you know, we'll figure it out and we'll figure it out. But what started happening and what pushed these manufacturers to do this was legitimately the Internet and community resources pooling to try to figure out what does and doesn't exist, what has and hasn't been pulled. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the interesting things with, you know, secret layers is now there's a structure in place already in other industries where people can track. Well, we've got, I think, four or five of the Vicious Ears that have been opened now. Uh, and you can kind of see because one of them was two of them were opened on a stream. Uh, ben had his one was opened and posted earlier today yep. in the Miss Prince group. And you can kind of see where these things are happening. And it's been, you know, manufacturers have now started coming out and saying, hey, you know, there's three one of ones of Justin Herbert in this set. Well, it's really a one of one then if there's three of them. Yeah, whatever. But that's that's been something that's kind of you've seen sort of change as the industry has progressed over the years is it didn't used to be disclosed. Mm -hmm. And now sets don't sell unless the manufacturer discloses, hey, uh, this is, you know, this is in this set. There's this many copies of this many variations. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely something that is now public knowledge. Yep. And we just kind of got there for the first time with serialization. We've seen uh, inserts like we mentioned uh, before in a small number of sets that weren't just bound to the expedition. So we had some other odds and ends like that. And without serialization, and more information this remains kind of obfuscated and almost seems to fall into the kind of the realm of like misprints yeah because we don't know what the population truly was yeah prior to this that despite the fact that this is now a purposeful misprint by wizards of the coast compared to what we're seeing this is a this is a reverse card this isn't like when they tested their foreign language and alignment capabilities with the uh hebrew glory and the sanskrit fungal shaman and the mm -hmm. greek um basilisk yeah in the uh, invasion apoc days this is actually just mirroring the card for lack of better terms and is much more of a, a serialized misprint um yeah, and it's kind of interesting to see that the their first attempt at this was to let people be surprised in tinfoil hat instead of being forthcoming when they've been trying to get cards into the hands of players rather than collectors. Yeah, and I I think it's interesting too because this you know it some something that and this was something we discussed in the discord when you pinged me was you know the difference in sealed product and sports yes. is because people know you know well x amount of these one of ones or whatever have been opened so there's actually a group i'm a part of on facebook uh and there's a pinned post in it that is each year tracking the top rookies in each sport how many of their one of ones are confirmed opened so and the way they do it is they crowdsource from eBay, from break streams, from Instagrams, everything. Uh, so, for example, last year, just in one of ones. So there is only one version of this card that exists anywhere in the world. Joe Burrow had three hundred and seventy two one of ones opened. 
Justin Herbert had 417 one of ones opened. So what does this do to sealed product then? Well, compared to Mahomes' rookie year, which has a very low number of one of ones opened, it's not as valuable because people know that the lottery ticket odds have gone down drastically compared to what they could be. So there's obviously, I'm sure some of your friends, for those of you listening, someone out there is like, should I open my secret layers and see if I get the lottery ticket or should I just hold it sealed forever? Well, there's going to be a point where it makes more sense to open it because so many of those vicious years have been opened that it's like, all right, we're waiting on 10 more to get opened and then the price starts to tank. So there's definitely a turning point for that on seal. Mm -hmm. And I think it's kind of interesting because, you know, like you said, getting this direct into the hands of players rather than collectors has also put the market in a weird place with these secret layers because this is something that's supremely, like, clearly meant for the collector's hands, right? You can't speculate on what the value on this is. It's going to go down as more get opened. Mm -hmm. Like, it's it's a collector's thing for a product that is designed to get into players' hands, which is, a, to, to me, an incredibly strange business decision. Like, I, I don't understand the logic behind it, but hey, what do I know? Yeah, it's weird to go from uh, the obfuscated information about stained glass planeswalkers in your secret lair and what which ones come in which batches to serialized Viscera Seer in what seems to be secret lair Praetors right now. We haven't seen anything opened in the Signets, which are arriving, or the Saturday morning D&D, I think that was the name of it. Yeah, that was the one. Uh, the one that has, like, Dragon's Quest art. I don't think anything's yeah. come from those yet. It's just been the Praetors. So it's kind of pushing people to say, okay, if uh, as the more of these are open, the price of them goes down. Providence for the first one's already set. We know the numbers that are probably going to worth, be worthwhile. Is it worth it for me to keep this in case, sealed in case there's a Viserys here? And like you said, I believe over time as we go, the answer is just going to be no, unless there's, like, one left. And then it's like, the Willy Wonka golden ticket thing. Uh, yeah. You know, we didn't know it was a race to world first, essentially, on Viserys here. Maybe we'll never know yeah, again no in the future. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then it becomes individuals beating out vendors in terms of provenance to first and who gets that premium, which seems really weird, like you said, for Watsi, especially if they don't divulge what's going to be where. It also seems like a poor business model when you don't say what's going to be where when you're printing these literally to demand. Yeah. And and that's the other thing is, you know, if this is, you know, we're, we're guaranteed they're all out there. Yep. And, you know, an example of something that exists in sports is considered the buyback redemption. So prime example, uh, good old Drew Pearson, he of the original Hail Mary fame. So this is a one of one. Mm -hmm as you can see down here, but it's a buyback one of one. So it's something that was never redeemed and the manufacturer just put it in a future product for someone to open. We're not getting that with secret layers because it's print to demand. So we know, all right, we're going to have an amount of these in there. The thing that I'm curious about is, is the out of a hundred based on the number of secret layer praters that were ordered. Mm. If this is, to get more secret layers ordered in the future because you could open a lottery ticket, which I think it very clearly is. Do we get more lottery tickets in the next secret layer? I see what you're saying. Yeah. 
because there's more printed. Is it an economy you of know? scale? Yeah. Is it going to? Uh, yeah. Exactly. Like, are, are we scaling at 100 because we had, you know, and we don't know print runs nope. because we had 50,000 secret layers ordered. Well, what happens when we have 100,000? Do we get something out of 200 or do we get two things out of 100, four things out of 50? How is that going to change things? It's going to be very interesting to see um, because I, I feel like, again, the longer this, you know, the, the more that this kind of trend continues in magic and the more we see going into serialization with sports cards is you start to get minor differences from one variation to the next. Maybe it's a vicious seer that's printed backwards, but the V or the S in the title is printed forwards, and that's one variation out of 50. Yep. And there's a bunch of ways that basically, and I was talking to you about this before you started recording, it seems like a way to artificially inflate set size. Yep. Like adding myth. Uh, 154,000 is the, the data mined number for Fair. the Praetor drop. So, jeez. So, it, all right, we have 154,000 of those printed. 100 of them have this in yep. it. Come on. Yeah. Really, guys. The only other question I have, and this is what uh, some people are trying to source instead of like all the rest of those numbers, is why the fuck Viserys here? Like, <laughs> it, right. it, it was a modern <laughs> combo staple, like in the stone age of the fucking format when birthing pod was legal. Yeah. And, you know, it was not just that deck that relied right. on Viserys here, rest in peace, Bubble Hulk. But, like, Viserys here eventually did hit the list, I believe, uh, at one point. Or some... Uh, it's in the Mystery Boosters as well, so it's like, are they just pulling from a preset list of cards that entered into the list or Mystery Boosters at some point? Like, what's the next one? And I think like that choice could also be damning for Watsy if they just keep if they pick cards that are just fucking duds, then people might not buy into these secret layers because the lottery ticket just isn't good enough. Like if you're not first, you're last, and if you don't have uh, the numbers we discussed were like I'd, the first one open. It doesn't matter what the number is. The first one in the series, the last one in the series, sixty nine and maybe forty two. You know, like yeah, or uh, like. Those would be the numbers that'll pull big for the most part. So it's like, what the hell else are you going to look for outside of those if the card is just a, another Viserys or style dud? We don't know, and, and we'll see, but everything's going to be kind of interesting moving forward, and I don't think that not announcing what's in there is going to be good for Watsy. I think if they operate in the shadows and the next one or two of these is just duds, people aren't going to get excited to buy secret layers to try and open their golden ticket. Yeah. And I, I think it's it's interesting, too, to me that they pick something that, like, was a modern staple at one point, but is now mostly used for EDH, yeah. because it says at the very least they know the, audi the audience they're targeting with these products. Mm -hmm. Nobody bought Praetors for Modern or Legacy. They bought them for EDH. And, you know... You can't see the face I'm making at you right now, but two-fifths of those Praetors slide into Demir Reanimator, my man. So, like... Facts. That is fair. That is fair. Uh, but, you know, people that wanted those for Legacy already have yeah. them. You know, this this is the type of thing that your casual EDH player is Exactly. Like, oh, I need Secret Lair Praetors, and I want all these signals. Herbrask is not selling to anybody that doesn't play it in EDH. Like, that... It, yeah. Just, just like the signets, which is, it's interesting to me that we haven't seen any of these come out of the signet secret layers. Because that's your because that's clearly 
clearly an EDH your home run group for that. Yeah. 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 Like that's it, it. It will be interesting to see. And I'm I'm curious if they do go more for variations, because if they put this in a non secret layer product, if if we get something like this in an actual like, you know, honest to goodness standard set. That's going to be pretty ridiculous for sealed product, especially because with sealed product, we don't know the production. Yep. They don't disclose that they never have and they never will. No, it's always been just what we piece together based on fuzzy math. Really, mm-hmm. Although it does. If you do put it in standard product, it helps those dud sets move. Dragon's Maze doesn't sit at distro and see fire sales if it has something like this in it. So it is a good tool as long as they don't pick duds and they have infinite good cards to pick from in the future if that's what they want. So. Yeah, and, and they, they really do. And I think it'll be interesting, you know, with the rest rest in peace, any chance of getting a promo variation of a dual land to get around the reserve yeah, list right. because yet again, closing that loophole was a shitty idea. I I think the only thing that really matters is that as a vendor, this doesn't really change how you feel about secret layers. Mythic editions were different, and you would have as many of your employees order them as possible when they went live. Yeah. And secret layers you can be kind of blasé about for the most part. Like, the Praetor one was probably an easy hit. The artist ones are a little more difficult because that's completely a niche market. Uh, Signets, again, um, obviously EDH players, but you don't know how popular that's going to be. So as a vendor, I'm probably not interested in buying any of these based solely on the lottery tickets. I still need the content to be worthwhile or the contents to be worthwhile. As an individual, I'm kind of of the same mind. I'm not going to be buying these for the lottery tickets if the contents don't matter to me. I think I bought like four secret layers over time and it's been based entirely on the contents. It's kind of like I think I can name them. It's Kaleidoscope Killer, The Ooze, uh, Black Lives Matters. Actually, three. Those are the three that I bought. Yeah. In varying quantities. Oh, uh, Caltime. I bought the metal one. Caltime yeah. because I needed... Um, cards for my i needed new art for my cube for the titans and i'm waiting on praetors five 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 okay yeah well are are you here's here's a question are you gonna open your praetors Uh, or hold it i had planned i i always buy more than one and i always plan to open one because i buy them to play uh so yes i will be opening at least one um when i buy sealed product like this this is just a personal thing i i've been a it's just a value my father instilled upon me as a child. If you have the ability to buy more than one of a collectible, do it and stick do one it. away. Yep. Uh, so it'll go, one of them will go away unless I need more Praetors for something. And then I'll, I'll pop yeah. it because it'll be cheaper to do that than probably buy additional Praetors. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm sitting on Kaleidoscope Killers, which I believe has the some Teferi in it. Three or five. Yeah, has, I don't know which one. Yeah. And I could I could easily pop that uh, for the Teferi lottery, but I'd rather let it sit sealed. And that's an example of what I talked about earlier. I specifically called out Kaleidoscope Killers. We have no idea what the ratio of hitting a Teferi is in that set, but we know it is certain to, certainly there. Yeah. And that's that's kind of been you know the the mo models operated off of right. Like even with subsets like masterpieces, yep. you know the odds of hitting it are there. You don't know how many of any given masterpiece there are, but the odds are non-zero. Yep this is something where we can get to a point where there are 0% odds of hitting it. And if you're telling me that when we have, you know, 99, 100 of 
100 that these secret layers sealed aren't gonna like tank in price suddenly i i, I will eat my hat when that happens if when when that happens and the price does not tank because we found yeah. those so uh Quick history and some of the things that Watsy's done for inserts that weren't uh, expeditions, etc. Uh, the the one that come came to mind super quickly was the hidden treasures, and that was yeah. something that Watsy did behind the scenes. They contracted Star City Games uh, over the course of a year or two to go out and buy X numbers of copies of high profile reserveless cards. So they're in the initial like wave of Zendikar original Zendikar release. We had power, we had duels, candelabra, stuff like that in there. Um, rumor has it that you cannot tell the difference between the waves of Zendikar boxes. Rumor has it that you can because on the UPC you'll see uh, an A versus a C. Yep. And that puts a premium, thusly, on all Zendikar boxes. And we only found out about the inserts maybe a week or two before set release that kind of hyped everything up but we had no idea what was truly in there uh, because we're talking about Zendikar release which is like I don't know barely outside of the dial-up age of the internet and we don't know what quantities were only Watsi and Star City know and nobody has cared enough to really come out with that information prior to that we had two examples of Watsi going past the set number for different games in Magic in Unhinged, the second unset, they printed super secret tech. One past the set number, the card only comes in foil. When Watsi was yep. still contracted to do Pokemon in the Team Rocket set, people had a feeling way ahead of time that Watsi was going to put something at the end of the set. And I can't remember why, but I remember reading about it that like people just had this feeling. And yep. sure enough, number 83 of 82 is Dark Raichu. The only way to get that card was 83 of 82, and it only came in foil. Now, one of the differences in all this stuff is that even with inserts into the set, like the Hidden Treasures, Sports Cards has always been doing it as subsets with serialization. So yeah. what I have uh, in front of me actually is an example of uh, 1993 Ted's Will Ted Williams Card Company. Uh, this is a really small set. It's nine cards. This is the Locklear Collection. And there's nine cards in the set. They're only worth, I think I clocked it before, the, like the four to seven dollars each. But they're all serialized, and it's very difficult to see. But at the bottom, there's a five-digit number. So provenance is again on very specific numbers. I don't know if they're available. I hadn't scoured eBay. 1993 sports cards were doing insert sets like this and serializing them, so you knew how many of everything was out there. So it gave people an idea of: Do I want to buy any of these cards because there's so many out there? Do I care? What kind of collectible is this going to be? How is it going to age? And if I'm the kind of person that buys sealed, do I think that this sealed product will be worth sitting on to try and hit these inserts? And it gives you that idea. Like, and I, I think one of the other things, and this is, you know, worth noting is, so I, I'd mentioned earlier, you know, sports cards with the serialization, with these subsets, that within the serialization, there's minor differences, right? So, and I held this up earlier you know one of one and seven of eight the only difference this one is red this one is gold there's one red one and eight gold ones in the entire world and if they do that with viscera seer or some banger like soul ring what does that do to the prices of this yep. all of a sudden and i think it's going to be very very interesting to see 
how that adjusts sealed prices for magic open you know single prices stuff like that mm. because you know was as i'll touch on with my pick today uh some of the stuff actually does have an influence on things and i think that that's important to note that all of a sudden here's a like oh well this is uh you know the one of one soul ring well great now the masterpiece is going to be worth less because there's suddenly a better version out there mm-hmm. or you know and the the interesting thing with magic is because print runs are obfuscated what if there's a version of a card that's out of 2000 that's worth more than the masterpiece and we just don't know that the masterpiece has a lower print run and and that's something that's very interesting to pay attention to because as we get clear print runs on things we know we have 100 vicious ears yep. great there's 100 of those that actually matters because the perception is this is limited there is a finite amount of this card out there the perception on masterpieces is well there's there's a ton out there mm-hmm. because they're not numbered when in reality it could literally be a significantly lower number just because of the perception so i i think that's something that's worth paying attention to in the future uh as serialization becomes more normalized in magic because and i think you agree with me here this might be the first time it's certainly not going to be the last i there is no way i i'm in complete agreement the the, a lot of what we've seen over the last couple of years is watsi seemingly toe into the water that sports cars have been navigating for decades and i i think it's about time because it allows their players to recoup and hold value a lot better on some of these offerings than they have in the past. Uh, it could do what happened to sports cards, which is it, it devalues the regular versions of it. But at the same time, that isn't that bad for the players either because that means they're able to buy in cheaper. Yep. It allows people who want to buy the niche high-end stuff to buy the niche high-end stuff and the people that just want to buy whatever version's the cheapest to do so. And possibly play this game cheaper which is better for all of us in the long run because that extends the shelf life of this game um yep all in all i really don't expect this to impact the vendor level um i wouldn't think so i you know it'll i think if the the impact at the vendor level you might see is more vendors order more secret layers yeah yeah or you might have like you know the people that are just dedicated to a vendor just ball outrageous and buy what they want for their own personal stuff because they're attached to a vendor and they can effectively put a hit out on something right yeah like that kind of stuff i i think i don't think you're going to see you know star city chasing these or troll chasing these you might see something like graded power and those kinds of entities try and chase like number one of some of this stuff or all of it but yeah i think that's about it i think on the, the grander scale this is clearly not a move made for the vendors this is a move made for the players and i'm i'm hoping that they continue to iterate on this in time yeah all right so while we're on the topic of a saris here you want to carry uh carry yeah, this ball let's uh let's let's go for picks so my pick yes uh as you may have guessed vicious here foil original printing why well as i touched on i when better versions of a card come out when something that is more scarce comes out even if the scarce is incredibly finite which we know it is the perception is it makes the other versions less valuable 
So Viserys here, for those of you that don't know, as we touched on, used to be an all-star in modern, rest in peace pod, free the political prisoner, pod, and splinter twin. Anyways, card sees a ton of play in EDH. A ton of play. Foils are down to $4 low right now on TCG for LP, like 4 to 5 And if you take a look at the stocks graph, you can see that there is a steady decline in the price of this card. And yes, we have a full art version in Commander... What Legends. was it? Commander Legends? Yeah. Uh, that does come in foil. Why the original printing over that? Well, because one, it's the original printing with a lower print run. It has a better foiling process. And I don't know if you've looked at the art on this card... The art on this card is real bad, and the borderless version zooms in on how bad it is. So, just for me, not my cup of tea. As far as return goes, if you take a look at the stocks graph, you can see that we're in the middle of another suppression in price, obviously. Yep. And if you look at historical price trends on this card, every time there is a dip in price, we get a little bit of like price elasticity shortly thereafter. Uh, and we've been on a steady downturn for a while now. So why now? Because, again, we're seeing this price suppressed, and I would not expect that this sticks around. Why? More EDH products, more paper magic, more degenerate creature things that are being printed, and Vicious here is one of those cards that, along with collected company and stuff that relies on having efficient dudes, gets better and better and better and better. And it is only a matter of time before this card goes back up. Mm -hmm. If you also look, you'll notice that every two to three months after a lull in price, there's a little bit of a spike that lasts for a month or two. So I expect probably in the next two to three months, we'll see that spike once we have paper events start to return. And this is something that you should be able to profitably buy list at that time. Uh, I will say quantity-wise on TCG Player, and this is something that I've touched on before, Quantity is diminishing on LP foils. I think we're currently at time of recording. I just looked before we recorded. Uh, we were at 35 listings today as of recording on LP or near mint. Last week, we were at 46. So it's worth noting that, or sorry, that's LP only is 35. We were at 46 uh, LP last week. We're not seeing the price increase with this disruption in quantity, which means this is steady movement. This is not someone coming in, buying out a bunch of Vicious Sears because they're speculating on it. You're just seeing natural consumption of this card. That's incredibly important because as the natural consumption catches up and people start paying attention and seeing it, you'll start to notice the price go up. And that's when things will really start to take off. So I'd expect about two to three months, especially as more commander products come out, mm -hmm. because as more commander products come out, we're going to get more and more stuff that's just like, hey, here's this cool degenerate thing you can do with another general that makes you sacrifice stuff. Oh, no. And then it takes off. It's my thoughts. Yep, but I like Viserysir as a pick, especially now. It just kind of leans into a lot of what you've been saying uh, recently, which is we can track, obviously, what's going on, something cyclical. We're looking to a card that has, uh, you know, a price history behind it based on utility, a card that has precedent set before it in modern because of its abilities and what it does in modern carries over into EDH for similar reasons and the playability in EDH 
now is a lot higher than it ever was in modern just because of what you can be doing with edh and how many cards are available to you in that slot uh yeah this kind of probably flies under the radar for a lot of people i don't know you know how often it'll show up on the top of uh rex for things like uh, the prosh deck etc they just want to be sacrificing everything all the time but again this is like kind of a foundational piece i assume in cd cedh it's also you know yeah uh, it, it's another foundational piece yeah. you know you're any anything that does degenerate graveyard things in CEDH runs a card like Vicious Seer, and it typically is Vicious Seer because of being able to filter through your deck. And, and so, based on utility alone, I I, I like the pick. You know, uh, M11 is still in the short print run era. We have another three core sets before we hit Return to Rav and the increased print run. So anything from that era in foil is not quite star foil, but it is short enough print run that it's always worth the look. You know, you mentioned the um, the foil printing in Commander Legends. There's the full art and the regular, and it's just an updated border and zoomed in art, and really is not that great a look. They did do a little bit to help depress the price. This pushes it further down, and I think now is the opportune time to look in. Yeah, you know, we're always a few cards away from this coming back in modern. We just need something to take the either the birthing pot or. Uh, be yet another Malira clone for this to really move. Free pod. Yeah. Uh, my pick for this week is uh, sticking both with uh, black and the EDH theme. Uh, I'm not leaning into the vampire theme, though it is usually found there, and it is Sanguine Blood. So yeah. I started looking at the M10 version of this back in April of 2021. CK was buying $24 at $3.20, CCG market um, for LP or better. There's 131 at 360, and as of recording this on November 15th, CK is no longer buying any from M10, but they are buying M14. So um, I threw this my my notes together for both of them. So CK is buying uh, M14 copies at about a buck 15 each. And they're on TCG Player Market right now for a dollar fifty-one. So we're getting close in terms of cash to credit arbitrage, but we're not quite there yet. There's 112 LP or better at 284 for the M10 version, 182 at a dollar fifty-one for the M14 version, and those are the ones I'm looking at specifically because, again, short print runs. The other copies of this card were in Commander 2013, 2017, 2021. Then there's an Iconic Masters and Time Spiral remastered in old frame. So a lot of printings of this card helped push the price down from what we saw saw it soar to on stocks in the early, in the early days of EDH. You know, twelve dollar plus card, then it just kind of sinks down, peaks back up, dips, jumps, and now we're coming back down. And I do expect this card to pick up again, and that's why we're looking at it. So where does Sanguine Bond go? Well, a an enchantment that costs three and double black and reads whenever you gain life, target opponent loses that much life. Basically, it goes in any deck involving black that is looking to gain large amounts of life or combo out with exquisite blood. So you want to play this in a deck that is going to gain life consistently consistently, and in heaps, not with something like Loxon Warhammer, but along the lines of Oloro, uh, Ageless Ascetic, or Willow Dusk Essenceer, which is one of the newest generals in the block for this card. So, as far as the format is concerned, this card is reasonable on its own. It turns a lot of life gain strategies into something competitive with a possible combo finish. This card, in a vacuum, is not over the top, and when not paired with exquisite 
blood uh, allows the owner to play a very fair and fun game, taking something slow and dirtily and making it quote unquote hang at the table. So you're able to grind out games two or so life at a time. It's a fairly palatable way to play, and as mentioned, the possibility to combo out allows you to build within a number of spheres. spheres. So again, we're going wide with our appeal. And I'm not really looking at Edgar Markov decks, so this does exist there uh, when I built this report, because not only does that card, but the rest of the deck can be both too expensive and competitive for a lot of players and tables. So while I do expect that to uh, drive demand, I'm not really looking at that. The most competitive I want to see for this card, and I'll pull it up on a wreck is Vito Thorn Rose, uh, Thorn of the Dusk Rose from M21, which is basically uh, exquisite bond on a creature. Whenever you gain life, target opponent loses that much, and that just creates the feedback loop you need to combo out. And that's basically yep. just the, the combo aspect of this. Otherwise, when you look at the generals on this list, aside from Willow Dusk, it's just kind of slowly grinding out the game. Alaro, Obzidad, Kambal, etc. just kind of nickels and dimes your opponents out of the game and allows you to stay afloat. So as far as the timeline is concerned, uh, with nothing terribly inspiring coming within Crimson Vow, my expectation is that buying in now during the first plateau in years, as people are dumping stock, uh, we'll start to see returns in about nine months. Uh, we're waiting for demand to remove supply, and with no new push, this is going to take a minute. So as mentioned, the, the newest commander we got is Willow Dusk, and I believe that's from Strixhaven. So it's been like, what, six months since we got a brand new general for this? This has made a splash recently yeah. in a lot of commander content, but nothing truly to move the needle, so we have more time to move in on this card than we usually would in a lot of aspects. I literally think Suarez on Commander Versus played this within the month of November within a Willow Dusk deck. And I think so. And I'm pretty sure he won with it, both those cards, yeah. but it just did not move the needle on it. But again... I do expect this to happen. I expect all versions to rise at the same time, so buying in, into any version should yield the same results. Look, currently the version I was tracking, like I said, uh, M2010 is no longer on CK BIOS, but they are buying literally every version of every other set this card has been in down to uh, the Time Spiral Remaster Old Border Foils. So it's only a matter of time. This card is not one that sees... Uh, a rush unless it takes over some kind of uh, commander video or some kind of commander content and it's got to do so in like blinding fashion yeah w uh, within the data that we're pulling you know the the 20 some or 25 copies or last sales that we're allowed to see on tcg player it basically takes we're recording this on november 15th it takes about a week to remove the 25 copies of every uh, across every version that we would see. Um, and that one a piece, which is exactly what we want. And it's just a matter of time because there's not a lot of these out there. And once this goes, we're done. You need Sanguine Bond to finish the combo. You can't double Exquisite Blood uh, your way to combo. Vito and Exquisite don't finish this out. You need Sanguine Bond for this, for this part of the combo. And it without Sanguine Bond, there is no way to just create that feedback loop. So it is the critical piece of this combo. With Before Vito, they were both unique in that instance. Now this is the one that hinges on a single version. You know, a, a single way to do this. And that's why I expect this to go up in time. Um, I'm not terribly happy with a nine-month turnaround on this one. It's 
always seemingly been a slow mover unless something cool and interesting and unique comes out. And even uh, before Strixhaven, when we jump into the stocks graph and coming out of Strixhaven, it's actually just been on the downturn because of the time spiral remastered printings. But we will see it go back up because what happens every time it sees a reprint, it goes back up. This is just a fairly palatable card. It's a fairly, fairly palatable combo. It's easy to deal with. This isn't oppressive. It won't push people out of the game. You're not casting Armageddon here. You're closing the game out with two enchantments that cost five each. Like, Urborg Cabal Coffers aside. Yeah. Fair, fairly palatable, fairly casual. It has wide appeal. And I would not... Exp if this wasn't in Crimson Vow... So I expect it to just kind of disappear from the market slowly over the next nine months, and that's when we'll make our escape. I I love this because everyone always talks about exquisite bond, exquisite blood. Everybody, they're like exquisite blood is so much money. It's the combo. It's the combo, and Sanguine kind of flies under the radar because of the reprints, because it gets reprinted and people are like, oh, it's it's yeah. it just got reprinted. It's fine. And it's low-key held its value incredibly well, despite multiple reprints because of the nature of the combo and the fact that it occupies that, like, casual, almost, like, 85% CEDH list of, like, well, sometimes you just land the combo and you get yep. there. And it's something that, even on its own, is just a good effect to have in a deck. And I think that, you know, like you said, it's only a matter of time before we stop getting reprints of this card. Watsy starts reprinting Exquisite Blood more to kind of equalize supply. And then all of a sudden, this card takes off because it gets a look with a new commander or a new card in some popular content series. And all of a sudden, people are like, oh, yeah, I kind of forgot about yeah. that because this card just always existed. Yeah. And it's 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 just a good, like, even just to have four to five of them and your vendor stock, your trade stock, whatever, is just a solid thing to do and to have. So, I know. I like yeah, it. Uh, I think it just, it, speaking of what you said, it just it gets completely overlooked. You know, this triggers off of every blood artist style effect there is in this game. You get to double dip on that. And I think that's incredibly important for people to remember and that this is the card that allows you to finish things out a little faster. And uh, I'm glad that you mentioned keeping some in your trade stock because that's the important part of this people will pick this card up they will pick up any both parts of this combo it doesn't matter what they are uh veto sanguine bond uh exquisite blood they'll they'll pick it all up because this is a fine way to play the game there's nothing more threatening than sitting down against Doloro and knowing that this combo is in there because you're on a clock that's yeah. it you know or veto you know you're on the clock and it shortens games and makes things more palatable it speeds things up which is kind of impressive for a deck that wants to gain life right you just don't think about it but mm -hmm. uh you know all in all i think it just kind of falls into that category like with of core feldergriff cards like, yeah it's not as pillow 40 as you think and it has wider appeal than you think so yeah it's good uh but i think that is going to do it for this week right like, yeah so, uh, for uh, this week and our discussion about serialization and magic, we are at MTG Cabalcast on Twitter, Patreon, and YouTube. You can find the podcast on Audible, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast. 
Uh, did I mention Stitcher? If I didn't, it's there. iHeartRadio, yeah. I think I skipped last week. We're everywhere. Yeah. Basically, now. Find yep. us. Uh, and I am at Halt, I am Reptart on Twitter. You are... At Thirsty we'll see you next week. <laughs>